Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. My name is Rach J. I am your host. I'm a master coach and the founder of Core30. I'm so excited to welcome this guest to the show today. Now, she is a former professional dancer with the Louisville Ballet. She's a health coach and also the founder of The Whole Dancer. Welcome to the show, Jessica Spinner. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to <laughs> chat with you. And I'm so excited to get to um, chat with you because it's been quite a while since we've connected, hasn't it? It has. It has yeah. A couple, like a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. So just for you guys listening, Jess was actually one of my business coaching clients back in the day and you were one of my favorite clients. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, because you know why? One thing I really admired about you was that, you know, in our sessions, we would, uh, you know, do strategy and whatnot and obviously give you action steps, but you would always come back having completed them. And I think just your drive, your motivation and uh, your willingness to take action is is one of your greatest qualities. So I really appreciated that as a coach um, to work with such an amazing client. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely embraced the start before you're ready mantra, like wholeheartedly. And sometimes I am like, wow, I started way too soon with that thing. But yeah, yes. it's paid How off. Work out. Yeah. It's paid off. <laughs> yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know the whole dancer, um, this is Jess's uh, online coaching business when the evolution of um, the whole dancer obviously started way before the business because um, you have been a dancer, a professional dancer. So um, can you kind of take us through your journey from basically graduating for, it was Butler University, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To becoming a professional dancer, what that process was like. Yeah. Yeah. So at during my senior year at Butler, we sort of rather than having a, you know, party spring break, we um, traveled around the States and auditioned for different companies. And, you know, that was a very interesting endeavor. And like, I went with two of my best friends and like, it's so weird because you're competing, it feels like against one another and, and there are so few jobs. It's like a very stressful situation, but I ended up with a contract from Louisville Ballet and it was like a huge step. It's amazing because college did really prepare me for a lot of it. But then there was like this whole nother level that you're like, oh, wow, this is intense. Mm. But I really enjoyed my experience dancing professionally. I, while I was enjoying like the dance aspect of it, I was still in a place where I was very much not supporting myself from a food or, you know, mindset perspective. So those are all things that really led to the creation of the whole dancer and the recognition that dancers do need a lot more support than they're generally given. Yeah. Cause you, you've spoken about, you know, sort of struggling with uh, body image and that kind of stuff around that period of time. So what specifically uh, was your struggle around body image and I guess your relationship with your body and food at that period of time? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout my dance journey, like training and all of that, my food stuff, my food and body image stuff came up at a very young age. It started when I was like 13 or 14. And I always talk about this with dancers too, is it's it's so helpful to identify where it sort of stemmed from for you because there does tend to be like a specific incident that 
creates, you know, starts the story and then you just are gathering evidence as you move forward. So my first experience with sort of negative body feedback was when I was, like I said, I think 13 or 14. I, I don't remember exactly. But after going away to my first summer intensive, I was prepubescent and I gained weight. And when I returned to my year-round school, my teacher uh, not so subtly like tapped me on the thigh and was like, that wasn't there before. And that was, that was like the start. And it Mm -hmm. just kept going until I stopped pursuing dance professionally, which was not until my late twenties. All through that time, I really was not in a very good place. And there was just like a lot of crash dieting and, you know, borderline disordered stuff with food. I mean, I'm sure if I had really ever talked to someone about it, they probably would have been like, yeah, this counts as an eating disorder, but I never had any of those conversations at the time. Um, you know, it's normal. Like there's so much secrecy around that kind of stuff. Like you kind of know what you do, what you're doing is not great or, you know, like the best thing for you, but we all find ways when we're in that place to cover it up in some way. Mm. Uh, so that was, that was where I was with it. And, you know, like the body stuff, it was very much, and I hear this so often from dancers too. It's like, I would always be like, if I get to this number on the scale, like then I'll be good. Like then I'll be happy. Right. And like, you get it to go down and then it fluctuates and it's all over the place. But you know, I would get it to the place where I was like, then I'll be happy. And I never was because it's so much, the mental piece has to shift. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it stayed with me, unfortunately, the whole time, which again is like, uh, look, when I looked back and I was like, I could have had so much more fun during my whole dance journey if I had been in a good place mentally. Yeah. And, you know, my career would have likely been even longer too, because I pretty much stopped because I couldn't handle it anymore mentally. Right. Um, I often w- would refer to, I had an injury as well, but I think that really what was going on was that like, I was just not, I couldn't, I was burnt out from like, just, you know, mentally tearing myself down for so long. Yeah. All that pressure that you're putting on yourself. Do you, did you find that, that, that was sort of normalized within the dance world, this kind of, uh, that type of relationship with, you know, bodies and, and, food, is it something that you guys would talk about with each other? There was always, and I still hear from clients that this goes on, unfortunately, is like, you know, it was very common to look in the mirror and like say to your friends, like, oh God, my thighs are so fat, you know, like that kind of thing. And like no one in the room could ever be categorized as fat. Um, But I think sometimes the food stuff was not quite as blatant. Uh, We would, you know, I didn't hear that many dancers who I wasn't close with speaking outright about like doing restrictive things with food or anything like that. Mm. But with my close friends, we would often be like, you know, like talking to each other about strategies uh, that we were trying to to lose weight and things like that. So it was kind of just accepted like normal. No one was sort of like, okay, this, this isn't right. It's just more okay, what are you doing to make your thighs thinner or whatever it is, right? Okay, so it became more of a normalized thing. Um, So then, you know, this whole idea about the ideal dancer's body or, um, you know, specifically in ballet, where does that come from exactly? And what, like, you know, do you get told that by particular teachers and what is this thing that you're trying to 
get to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because when you look back in like history of American dance, there were plenty of times in ballet's history when dancers were not super thin. Like, you know, there were even times when they sort of like built up thigh muscle uh, with the way they were doing technique and things. And, you know, then people will attribute the shift to thinner body types to like a whole host of different things. Like, uh, you know, some people say it's Balanchine who was the head of New York City Ballet and like his preferences and that sort of shifted uh, the body type in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, you know, there's also just like what was going on culturally in like the 80s and 90s as far as like diet and stuff went. So like there's a lot uh, that sort of contributed to a shift. And then, you know, when you look, we're like, I could talk about all of dance history here with the way it it all kind of like came together. Um, But, you know, then like in Russia, the way dancers are, Russia and like uh, other European countries where they select the dancers who are going to train at these top schools from the time that they're very young and they only will accept, like, they look at their parents' bone structure and body type and stuff like that. And then, like, all these other uh, physical factors. And, like, only those people who fit exactly into this mold can train to become professionals. Uh, And so, like, there's influence from that as well. And... So part of it is genetic as well, isn't it? Part of it is, yeah. Yeah, that you can't can't help that... Part of it definitely is... um, And then, like, part of the pressure as far as, like, thin comes into it is around the fact that in ballet, there's a lot of partnering and lifts, you know, and people will make the argument, well, if a girl is too big for a guy to lift, she can't be in ballet. And, you know, then there are luckily starting to be people who are like, there's plenty of partnering that doesn't involve tons of crazy lifts that Mm. any size dancer could do. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very loaded situation. Yeah. And then like a lot of it is then now artistic directors at ballet companies will will continue to reinforce and school, you know, mm. teachers and, and things like that will continue to reinforce that idea for yeah. young dancers coming up and things like that. Yeah, so it's kind of like a layered message that just keeps getting added to and added to. And yeah, it's the good. imagery that, that, you know, we all mm. see in ballet and... Uh, and yeah, the messages are just kind of layered for sure. Yeah. So, you know, kind of going through this process of uh, trying to attain this ideal, you know, body um, and I guess using food or restricting food as a way to to try and achieve that. How, you know, what, what was the moment for you that you realised that firstly, what you were doing was not quite healthy and when was that moment where you realized, okay, I need to shift this. This is, this is actually not, not healthy for me. I need to stop doing this. I think I, uh, you know, deep down, I think I always, I mean, at least on some level, I like knew it wasn't the best approach. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, as I stopped dancing, I was kind of like, you know, what's, why am I continuing to like try and destroy myself for some goal that's not even necessarily relevant to me right now? 
And I started doing like yoga and exercise away from mirrors. Like I think a big issue, or I know a big issue that a lot of dancers face is the fact that we're in like almost no clothes in front of a mirror six or seven days a week from the time you're 13 you know, so like when you are going through like puberty and stuff and your body is changing, you're, you're still faced with like this image and it's different than it used to be. And it's, and, and you also feel like it's wrong. Uh, so, you know, there's the, that's where the whole, like seeing how you're seeing yourself comes in. But like, once I got away from the mirror and was starting to, you know, luckily it's like, yoga teachers are great because they'll often talk about things like, you know, think about how you're feeling internally and how your body, how strong you are in this moment. So like they start to ingrain very different messages if you have like really good yoga teachers. Mm. Um, and so I did start to be like, wow, like I'm very physically capable, uh, mm. you know, and my body allows me to do all of these things. So I started to develop a sense of gratitude around it. Uh, and the food piece started to work itself out when I stopped worrying about what other people, what I thought other people were thinking about me. Right. Uh, when I said, you know, I started to see that I had all these ideas about like things other people were assuming and like what other people might be thinking if I told them I was a ballet dancer. And I, you know, always was making the assumption that they would, they would think if I told them that, oh my goodness, she's like, this girl could never be a ballet dancer, you know? So when I stopped worrying about, like, I don't care what anyone thinks anymore, you know, and like, when I, <laughs> when I started to like go in that direction, I was like, oh, like none of this really matters. How did you get there though? Because that's one thing that a lot of people, I still struggle with, uh, thinking yeah. about what other people think of me, particularly, you know, when now, you know, with IG socials is such a big piece to a lot of our businesses that, mm-hmm. you know, it is a thought, it might not stop me from doing something, but I definitely, you know, have those moments. So what have you done to get to a point where you're like, I just don't give a shit what people think of yeah. me right now? Well, you know, it's, a, it's a, a controversial approach, but it's not one that I came to on my own. I was... Uh, I was working at Lululemon and they, at the time, put all of their employees through the Landmark Forum. And are you familiar with the Landmark No, Forum? I'm not. What is it? Okay. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, like I said, it's controversial. People consider it cultish. And, and, you know, when you go through one weekend of it, there are additional weekends that they want you to go and pay for and do and whatever. Right. I have only ever done one weekend of it, but it, it did have a huge impact on me. And that was probably the biggest one where they, on, I think the second, there's a three day, you're there from 8am until 10pm. Um, so it's like intense mm. and, uh, it's nonstop, you know, like you can take bathroom breaks and like short eating breaks. Um, but it was the second or third day they do something called the fear exercise and they like, walk you through this, this whole scenario where you're walking down the street and like everyone's thinking about you and judging you and blah, blah, blah. And like you have your eyes closed and this whole thing. And it was just like a revelation. I was just like, like nobody cares. I mean, and if they do, it was kind of like, why do I care? 
yeah. what they think. Yeah. You know, and like it helped, it helped you too to see, and like people will say this, but you have to like really believe it. When people judge you, it's about them. You know, yeah. it's about their insecurities. It's about them not being happy with themselves. Uh, it's like all these trolls on the internet. Like, why do they say, like, these poor people are, are so struggling and desperate. That's why they feel the need to say awful things about other people, mm. you know? So it was, um, it was a game changer. I feel like we know that, you know, logically, we know, generally speaking, as coaches too, you know that, uh, yeah, if someone's going to put somebody down or say nasty things about them, that it's about more about the person who's saying it rather than the person that they're actually commenting on. But I right. think too, you know, it's like being able to step out of that situation and, and separate yourself from, from it, I suppose. That's the key, right? Yeah. So it's just a, a constant thing. Do you, do you feel like you have to um, just consciously do that every time you, you I guess, uh, I don't know, putting something out or do you feel like you've kind of got it down where it's just an automatic thing that you'll, you'll just put your stuff out there and not really give a shit what people think? For the most part, I don't overthink it at all. Mm. I just... It's so know. amazing. This is what we need to all aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, social media certainly adds like a layer to things where I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh this other person is making these things look so incredible. Uh, but I'm very mm. good at this point at just being like, that's whatever. Thing. It's yeah. fine. You know, yeah. if that's what she wants to do and how yeah. she wants to put it out or say it, you know, yeah, it's cool. I love that. I love that so much. So much to learn from you, Jess. <laughs> um, so I know you've spoken a little bit about using food as a way to escape from emotions in the past as well, like mm. stress and that kind of stuff. So how were you able to kind of transform that and how are you able to deal with your emotions now instead of using food as a way to, um, I guess, avoid feeling those emotions would be a way to say it? Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing for me, and I do think for a lot of the dancers that I work with as well, is like knowing, you know, I consider myself a very positive and optimistic person. Uh, and I think when you're young, when you identify that way, you think that you have to be that way all the time, you know, like nobody wants to see you sad or angry or frustrated. So you like just put on the happy, everything's fine face. And then you're not feeling any of the sadness or frustration or anger or whatever might be coming up. Um, and in dance, there's a lot of those feelings and like there's disappointment and rejection and like, uh, rather than being like, God, I, I'm hurting because of this, it would be like the food, like, because it's so easy to, uh, pushing it down, like just it makes, sounds so right because it's really what it, what it seems to do, at least in the moment. And then obviously after the fact, you feel like crap. Um, but so for me, it was just like, okay, I have to, allow myself to feel these things and like know that I don't have to be completely positive and optimistic all the time. Um, and I think too, I've gotten very good at being like, okay, like this is something challenging that I'm going through, but I can get to a more positive way of thinking about it while I still acknowledge the thing. 
Uh, and then something too is, you know, now, and I've talked about this with a lot of my clients as well. It's like, this is a very stressful situation that we've all been in. And there have been moments when I'm like, oh my gosh, I just like, I'm going for sugar or, you know, like chocolate or something like that. And I think when you can be aware of it and, and be like, wow, I'm, I'm like craving this thing because this situation is stressful. When you're aware of it, then you can be like, okay, do I want to, is a bite of chocolate going to make me feel maybe good for the moment? And then I can move on from it and be like, whatever, it was fine. Uh, or is it going to be, you know, just like adding insult to injury essentially. Uh, and most of the time for me, I can, I'll be like, I'm going to have a bite of ice cream and walk away. And <laughs> it's going to be like, that was a sweet moment. And now I can go and, and conquer life again. Yeah, definitely. I feel that, you know, even with my nutrition clients, I find that, um, you know, we all do turn to certain foods. I think sometimes when we are going through certain emotions, particularly ones like, you know, stress or anxiety, and there might be a particular food or it could be, you know, other kinds of behaviors, addictive behaviors that we kind of have learned to uh, use as a way to deal with our emotions. Uh, but it's just being conscious about those emotions, right? And, and being able to note the behaviors that we default to and I guess, just make that conscious shift. So mm -hmm. instead of doing something that uh, is not as healthy, we, we shift into something that is more healthful for us. Um, just in, And just in terms of your own behaviours or your habits, you know, what kind of things that you do you have to do daily to make sure that you and your body are in a really healthy and balanced state as you, you know, sort of move through your life? Mm, well, it's changed a lot since having a baby <laughs> um, because like time is different and, you know, uh, she's an early riser. So she's up at like five, five thirty in the morning, a lot of the time. So I still like to prioritize having, you know, like a, a tall glass of water first thing in the morning and uh, a healthy breakfast what happens after that? I never quite know, but you know, I do like to be like, okay, at least I'm getting that in. And we've been making sure to get outside in the morning as well. Um, since it's hot over here right now, we, we get out before it gets hot and like the walk is nice. Nice. And what kind of healthy breakfast, like when you say healthy breakfast, what do you mean by healthy breakfast? Yeah. I either do um, steel cut oats with like nut butter and fruit or I will do uh, an egg and avocado and kale and like a piece of toast. Sounds so Those good. So you've got like your sweet and then your savory option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So obviously you've gone through quite a journey, you know, all the stuff to do with your body and food and transforming that relationship, but then also moving through the dance world. And then now, you know, coming to this point of running a very successful online coaching business for dancers. And, you know, I know we you know, obviously worked together at least in the initial stages of when you mm -hmm. were founding the whole dancer. Uh, so what was that journey kind of like for you? You know, the, the, the start part of, of really establishing the business, but then also, creating the Dancer's Best Body program. What was that journey uh, like? Yeah. So you, you know, were really sort of one of the catalysts to getting to the whole dancer. Cause I think it was in our very first session where I was still like working with whomever as a health coach and 
we started talking about sort of my background and things like that. And I think I said, you know, like I've thought about working with dancers, but I don't know if that's like the thing. And I'm pretty sure you were just like, it sounds like you should definitely be working with dancers. Uh, and that's really where it started. And in the beginning I had, you know, some really, I, I didn't feel like I had enough. I mean, I was new, so I really didn't have much of a presence obviously in the dance world. So I teamed up with some professional dancers to bring workshops and things like that. And the first program I launched was called the Whole Dancer Program. And for me, that was sort of like, you know, dancers need to be well-rounded and like it was wellness pr program. And uh, it was all the things that I like knew they needed, but <laughs> they didn't really know they needed it. So, you know, that one was smaller, but I learned a lot from it. And like, I will never forget those for that first small group of girls who went through that program with me. And even though it wasn't exactly what, you know, like I felt or, or discovered that dancers in a larger capacity felt that they needed, I do think that those dancers who went through that program mm -hmm. had a really uh, good outcome. And... So I kind of stuck with that one for the first year, almost. It wasn't a full year. Uh, it was like probably only, I guess, like six-ish months. And then it was like, okay, let's figure out what they really need uh, or what they really feel they need. And, and that's where the Dancer's Best Body program came in. And, you know, when I created that one too, it, it was like, wow, yeah, this is what I would have wanted if I were still dancing uh, because it, it was always my body. That was the issue for me. And so, you know, it wasn't like I need to have more wellness in my life, yeah. which is a beautiful concept. But unfortunately, and I do think now, actually, I feel like there's more, um, you know, like coaches and people speaking to dancers about those sorts of things that more of them are like, well, I think I should be more well-rounded, which is beautiful. For a long time in dance, it was always like, all you can do is ballet and you can't do anything else. There's no time for anything else. And, you know, so dancers are starting to realize that when they do other things as well, they in fact will be better dancers. But with the Dancers Best Body program, I, I created it with a small group. Uh, so like as they went through the program, I sort of, you know, thought about and asked them about what else they needed. And so it was, it was very tailored to what they told me and what they shared as far as like their struggles. And, and it was all also always very validating because I was like, wow, yeah, um, that would have been beneficial for me as a next step as well. And so that first enrollment was really really successful and um yeah I remember that launch it was a it was a big launch actually wasn't it yeah it, it was did very, very well yeah. yeah yeah and that was like wow like this is very needed mm. and you know since then it's continued to be um the most popular thing that I offer and now like I mentioned to you earlier it, it has sort of taken on a new form with some more intensive group coaching and the group who just went through. And I kind of think it's sort of like the situation that we're all in that made that more of what dancers 
were open to. I always had this fear that like group coaching would not be something a group of dancers would really want to do. Yeah. But I think that everyone had gotten so accustomed to Zoom and, and those kinds of meetings and taking class on Zoom that this group just was like really open to it. And they all had such huge shifts in Amazing. mind and body. Yeah. And that, because that's a big thing about, you know, what you do, just generally your whole ethos around coaching is this whole connection between mind and body. And I feel that it's it's so, um, you know, because obviously in the fitness industry, a lot of the uh, focus is placed on the exterior, obviously your external goals and whatnot. But I, you know, bringing the two together and finding that mind-body connection, I feel that is really the key to, creating, uh, you know, any goal that you're really moving towards, even if it is an external goal, it all really just comes back to that internal process and your mental fitness essentially and how you communicate to yourself and have developed that relationship, right? The internal relationship between yourself, your body and how you perceive yourself, especially is is a big key with how you help uh, your clients go through your program, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for dancers too, like you have to consider the focus on the external is times like a thousand because it's not just looking how we think we should look, but it's also like doing this very challenging technique and making it look effortless and like, you know, excelling in that way and like having perfect lines and form and like all of these things. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's just like a whole nother level. Yeah. So it's like dealing with this idea of perfection as well, that obviously mm-hmm. doesn't really exist. You know, it's just an idea, um, but, but unattainable. So um, are you finding that with people that, are, that, you, that you work with, that this, the struggles that they face, are they all very similar to what you experienced like what are the struggles that they're experiencing, especially now because, um, you know, we're in a very weird time. Is it still the same? Yeah. I mean, now I would say it's slightly altered because there is, of course, the challenge of motivating yourself to like do ballet class in your living room or your kitchen. And, you know, even for professional dancers, obviously like the biggest Uh, professional dance companies in the U.S. are in, you know, like big expensive cities. And so like even the dancers who dance with top companies in New York City have like teeny tiny apartments and they're trying to dance in them. So even those top dancers are like really struggling with the current situation. And then, you know, obviously younger dancers who are training are going to be having a hard time at home. So, you know, when I was coaching this last group, we had to really validate that it was okay to take time off. And, you know, like if you were feeling like you were getting burnt out or like you're fighting against yourself trying to do it, like take some time. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely some new challenges right in this moment. Aside from that, though, you know, a lot of what I experienced is still what's going on. Uh, Another thing that I had thought when I was first sort of going down the avenue of the whole dancer was like, I was like, you know, things have to have changed by now. Like there's no way teachers are still saying these things to dancers about their bodies or like that dancers are feeling like they're not getting cast in certain roles because of the way they look. Uh, And then like, unfortunately, when I started working with dancers more closely, they would tell me all these stories of exactly the same sorts of things still happening. Um, 
So I do think even that from like a higher up standpoint, I do think there's, there's starting to be more awareness. Uh, at least, you know, I always say like, if you're going to tell a dancer, you think something about her body needs to change, like offer some resources, like give her people who you would recommend she work with. Uh, you know, like sometimes these dancers are receiving really bad diet advice from, you know, teachers and stuff. So it's like, please like point them in the direction of people who can actually help them do this in a healthy way. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that that's just been your approach at least is to make sure that the dancers that you're working with have these correct resources that give them a bit more of a holistic approach, I suppose, to their health. Now, obviously, you know, movement and dancing and all the, the whole dance has been part of your life for your pretty much your whole life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you reckon that the greatest lesson you've learned from movement or from dancing has been for you? Mm. Uh, I think probably that our bodies are capable of so much more than we probably would assume. Uh, And, you know, sometimes you think you are at a limit and most of us could actually go beyond where we would consider our like physical limitations to be. Mm. So do you reckon that that you've been, because you've been able to do that physically, then that that's sort of in dance specifically or through other movement? I mean, I would say it comes from dance. That idea comes from dance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now when I work out, I have like this recognition of, of like how far past where I think the limit would be I can go. Mm. So it's um, kind of like part of it is a mental... Um, you know, getting through adversity mentally as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one thing I do like to talk about with a lot of my guests is is failure and rejection because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I feel like, you know, we all encounter in our life and, and specifically through movement and fitness and sport or, you know, art forms like dance where we, you know, learn these things. Uh, what has been your biggest failure and what have you learned from it? I mean, you know, in dance, there's so much rejection. Yeah. I think there were times when I perceived those things as failure. Uh, And I think that, you know, I'm definitely at a place where I don't see it that way anymore and I don't hold on to it that way. Um, But, I mean, I think the learning from it is just to know that when you think you've failed... It, it probably means something else is really where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I, f- I feel that a lot of uh, the people that I've spoken to um, have that way of thinking or perception about failure is, is kind of just like, well, you know, I, I just kind of feel like it's a redirection, like I'm being redirected elsewhere. So it's not really that I've, you know, and particularly too with being in, the creative space. I think you fa- you would have faced such a lot of rejection as a dancer that almost you you ha- you learned that you have to have another way to look at it. Otherwise, you just wouldn't be able to keep going through it over and over again, right? Yeah. That's what, definitely what I've yeah. found as an actor. So, um, which is a really great way to, or a, a good way to take into your life just in general, because then you're less inclined to be knocked down by it. Because so one of the things that we did, uh, which I wanted to talk to you about with building the whole dancer was 
obviously, you know, pushing you to points where I think that perhaps you were, like you said, weren't quite ready to go there, but just kind of dove in anyway. Um, and I, I might have heard you speaking about this on another podcast or something, but about reaching out to um, publications like Point Magazine, Dance Spirit, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So can you kind of talk us through that process of going through those moments of feeling like you weren't ready to do it, uh, understanding the blocks around it and then how you eventually were able to take the action on it because, you know, yeah, I think that's a, a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, the lack of readiness certainly comes from, and I almost touched on this in the question of failure uh, because, you know, like when you're young, a young dancer, you obviously like see you know, like in Point Magazine, those are your celebrities, right? It's like you see the people who you're like idolizing. Yeah. Uh, So I just think that even when I was pursuing dance, I don't know that I ever considered myself someone who would be featured in that way. Right. Uh, and, And then, you know, as it kind of went on and like when I was working with you and that was something that you were having me do was like, you know, writing to and reaching out to, these publications, I was kind of like, who am I to be, you know, trying to get any sort of feature or something like that. Mm. Uh, And then it it sort of started working out and they, and, you know, they were like, yeah, like we would definitely want to share what you're doing. Um, And so like that validation really helped. Yeah. And then obviously from a business perspective, then you have connections. So then you can like start reaching out and pitching story ideas and things like that. Um, and then you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you just got to sure, do that one, whatever. take that first step. And then once right. you kind of get through yeah. that, then it sort of builds that momentum and you just can keep going, right? Because the, the program did very well. And like from a, from a business perspective, um, you know, the dancer's best body, obviously like, you know, for the for the first within the first twelve months, it was like we were saying before, it was about thirty forty grand in revenue that we were able to yeah. generate, which was amazing and such a, you know, I think you should be very proud because a lot of um, you know entrepreneurs go through, uh, particularly in the health and wellness space, you know, go through like a lot of shit to get to a point where even one product is a successful product. And, you know, to right. be able to do that in the first 12 months is like huge. So just a credit to you and your, um, all the amazing um, things that you, you went through. Just also internally, because you do have to, as an entrepreneur, go through those blocks, you know, you, you come up to a point where you haven't been there before, you've got to crush through that and move forward. So I'm right. so proud of you. I'm so, so um, excited. I'm so grateful for your part in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been so lovely to have you on the show, Jess, and so great to connect with you again after so yeah, long. I know. I'm glad we got to catch up a little bit. Yeah. And so, guys, you can check out Jess. Uh, she's on IG at The Whole Dancer, also thewholedancer.com. And if you did like this episode, make sure you screenshot this and share to your IG stories. You can tag uh, The Whole Dancer and Rach Active. But thank you again for joining me on the show, Jess. It's so nice to chat to you. And um, guys, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Rach Active podcast. Bye.